Hello, and welcome to Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. Today's episode includes myself, Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Kayla Fratt of Journey Dog Training, and her client, Caroline and Sonic. So today, Kayla and I are doing a bit of a different type of case study. Kayla and Caroline are still working together currently when we're recording this. And we've got Caroline on air to help us understand her pup, Sonic, who is super cute, by the way. We're we're getting a little online flash of his um, cuteness. So this is more of an on-air coaching session rather than a completed case study. So from what Kayla has told me, Caroline has been doing a lot of amazing work with her pup. So Kayla, tell us a bit about what you know regarding Sonic's behavior. Sure. Um, So Sonic's a nearly four-year-old dog that Caroline has had since he was a little puppy. She got him from a super awesome breeder, and her original goal was for Sonic to be her next agility dog. He's about seven and a half pounds, so really little. Um, and Sonic also lives with Caroline's dog, Venice, who's an eight-year-old mixed breed. Caroline is a student with a varied schedule, um, and Sonic is currently on a couple different medications, which I think we just got adjusted, so we'll come back to those in a minute, and generally goes on about five off-leash walks a week, so he's got a pretty good life. He's fed out of a puzzle feeder, um, but he's got a lot of concerns, so kind of the main (laughs) issue that Caroline and I um, were trying to work through is Sonic's Um, pretty severe reaction to other dogs. We get a lot of barking, Tasmanian deviling at the end of the leash, growling. Um, He's got some other concerns that we're going to talk about, but the main thing, like if we had one thing that we could fix, we're working on dog stuff. And so Caroline and I um, originally started out with a remote um, phone call. I think we did a 15-minute phone call, and then we've done several months of kind of follow-up email and text support Um, Caroline is really, really awesome about filming her training sessions, um, which makes the remote uh, text support really, really useful because I'm able to actually see her working with Sonic um, almost every single day. And we're able to kind of figure out plans going forward with that. Um, I will say we are recording in early April and coronavirus has really thrown a wrench in a lot of our work because trails, dog parks, doggy daycares, all of these places that we were going to practice are getting shut down. But Mm. we're doing the best that we can. We're still um, getting creative here. And so I think I actually um, jumped ahead (laughs) on your question, and you were about to ask me why she contacted me. But Caroline, do you have anything to add as far as what's going on with Sonic? At this point, no. Uh, No, not really. You're you're covering it pretty well. He's got a lot of worries. Um, Dogs are the biggest one, and they're sort of my biggest priority. But, I mean, new places, odd sounds, um, strange people, new objects on a trail type of thing. There's a lot of things that really um, sort of throw him off his groove. So he's an odd guy, and he has been ever since I caught him. So, Caroline, you just mentioned that he has been an odd duck from the very beginning. So could you fill us in on some of Sonic's early history? Absolutely. So I'll go back a little earlier and mention that I was researching breeders on and off for a couple of years by the time I found his breeder. Uh, so all the breeders I'd found before her were either just sort of hobbyists breeding untested for pets only, which is fine, or confirmation breeders breeding for the show ring. And I knew I wanted a hiking companion and a sport dog. And she was the only person I found that was really actively competing and doing things with her little dogs. So we scheduled a phone call and hit it off right away. 
So Sonic is part, he's a repeat breeding. He's a third time repeat breeding. So there are two litters of full siblings before him uh, that I was able, I was able to talk to their owners and ask about the dogs and see what they were like. So everything I heard about his um, adult siblings was good. A couple were already trialing in agility. A couple went with their owners to work where they interacted with people all day. Uh, from my understanding, there was one female puppy who displayed some sort of what you might call reactive behaviors, but it sounded like the owner wasn't really interested in working on it and it didn't really interfere with them going to classes or trials. So it didn't seem as much of an issue to me. So Sonic's mom was shown in confirmation and they did a little bit in barn hunt and rally. Uh, she's really sweet, gets along really easily with other dogs. She's never met a strange person in her life. His dad's a little bit more reserved with other dogs, but he just ignores them. Um, nothing too problematic. And when I met him, when I went to her house, I met both the parents. They ran right up to me, helicopter tail. They wanted to be petted, just really sweet dogs. So when Sonic's litter was born, uh, his breeder had several adult dogs uh, in her house. So she had her, uh, her breeding pair, but then she also had a Border Collie and a Catahoula. So there were just a variety of dogs around from the time he was a little baby. Um, they, the puppies, the litter got to interact with those other dogs. They got to learn about interacting with cats. She had a three-year-old son at the time. They were raised in the kitchen. They got all the comings and goings of a busy life, uh, toddler birthday parties, that kind of thing. She took them for trips to local stores where they got to see new things and they got to play outside. Uh, and I first suspected something was off. He was five weeks old and his breeder shared a video with me where he's sort of looking at the camera and he's kind of growling and woofing a bit. And my first thought was, mm, that's not quite right. And I asked, you know, is he worried about you holding the camera up to your face? And she said someone was walking behind her with an arm full of plastic bags. And I was like, okay, that's not, that's not really normal. But at this point, I'd been waiting over two years. And not that she would have um, refused my deposit back. She was great about that. But I wasn't going to say no at this point. I was thinking, he's a baby. Like, there's lots we can work on. So then I brought him home. And... Um, well, first, when I actually, when I met him at his breeders, he was super confident. He was the first puppy, puppy sorry, to run up to the X-Pen and see me. He was so happy. Um, we had a 14-hour drive home. He was a rock star. And then, so this is the night I got him home. I let him wander around the yard and potty. Um, and then I brought out my other dog, Venice, who's an adult, to meet him. And, like, before she even got within six feet of him, he was screaming like he was being torn apart. Um... But I figured, you know, oh, I know about dogs. I'm pretty dog savvy. He'll be fine with some work. So that was his first night with Venice. Um, and as a baby, his behavior was more subdued. You know, he was afraid and he wanted to hide. Um, you know, he wanted to disappear and crawl into a little hole. Maybe he'd growl if they approached him. Um, you know, for our first puppy class, he sat under a chair and growled for, I think, the first two lessons. If he saw another dog on a walk, he would freeze and I couldn't get him to move, um, but he'd fall over and scream if the dog finally got up close to him and wanted to say hi. I imagine our listeners are dying to know what breed he is. Sure. <laughs> I don't think we've mentioned that so far. What breed is he? He's a Chihuahua. And I mentioned yeah. this to Kayla is I get a lot of... Um, well, he's got the chihuahua attitude, even from people yeah. who I think should know better, because mm -hmm. I don't think this is a breed thing at all. And I've been involved in my whole life with um, pit bull rescue and now chihuahuas and people like to make assumptions. And that's, I think, totally. why I didn't really capitalize on sharing his breed. But we absolutely can. We see a lot of little dogs that do a lot of barky lungy stuff. Um, but this sort of behavior is not normal and I think most of our listeners are going to understand that again especially being able to compare it to so many 
full siblings, this is not this is not something that should just be written off as like, oh, yeah, this is, this is this goes beyond what I've seen from, you know, what people would like to call ankle biters. Yeah. Yeah, sure. that's right. I remember we were talking about whether or not we should include the breed. And I think I, I think it brings up a good point, right? Because so many people are wa- probably wanting to know what breed is it? Because there are breed tendencies. However, I think you are spot on in saying that like, yeah, but we just shouldn't like that's not an answer. Oh, well, it's a Chihuahua. Mm -hmm. Okay, like what is that going to do for like what like that doesn't give us it gives us some information for a training plan, but it's not the whole thing. It should be maybe a sliver of your consideration. But it's like I said, it's not it's not the whole approach. So I think, I think it's, um, and Kayla, when you said that it's not normal, like what you've seen, like what makes you say that this falls outside of that normal scale, that normal range of behavior? For me, I, I would not be surprised to see a super small dog, you know, as we said, Sonic's about seven and a half pounds, um, who's nervous around really big dogs, you know, and some, amount of nervousness is a little bit normal for these little teeny tiny dogs because the world is a bigger, scarier place. Um, But, you know, compared to siblings and, you know, relatives, this Sonic is a lot, lot more fearful than them. Mm -hmm. And even with most of the little teeny tiny dogs that I've experienced or been around, um, I don't expect this level of anxiety or fear especially this young, you know, there's no traumatic experience, um, to really be able to point to. So there's definitely something going on genetically, developmentally, Mm -hmm. you know, crap luck of the draw with, you know, placental placement or something crazy like that. You know, there are so many things that it could be that we just can't point to, but I don't think it's fair to say that, oh, because this dog is from X breed or Y breed, he should have to put up with this level of stress in his life or mm-hmm. yeah. the owner should have to put up with this level of stress. You know, like I have a border collie. He brings me stuff all the time. He's constantly asking to play fetch. That does not mean, and yes, that is what I signed up for, but that doesn't mean that it's okay for, you know, and that mm-hmm. I, I just need to live with that forever. You know, we can, we should still be able to modify a lot of these behaviors, even if they do kind of fall on the extreme end of what, is somewhat typical for the breed and yeah we do see a lot of chihuahuas that are barky and nervous but this is this is outside of what i would uh, i would say is acceptable level of nervousness or fear mm-hmm. and you guys yeah, might and very outside the norm for his for his family yeah mm-hmm. yeah like I, I it would still be concerning to see this sort of behavior in a four-year-old dog that turned up at the shelter with an unknown history you know, we, yeah. you know, Marissa and I have worked with dogs like that a lot um, together at Dumb Friends League, but it's even weirder to see it from a puppy that, in theory, has had so many things going for him. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and and that that's yeah, that's been something that I struggled with at first, saying, you know, what did I do wrong? Um, and you know, no, I didn't do anything wrong. He had a lot more advantages mm-hmm. than most puppies. I assisted with puppy classes for four years and I saw puppies coming from, you know, train wreck situations who were lovely little dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did a whole lot more for him than those puppies ever got. And he's still further behind the pack. So it's, you know, I don't think it's anything that I missed out on or anything I did wrong. It's yeah. just something's off. Yeah. Good conversation. 
Because I, because for yeah. the trainers that are listening, I mean, there have been many times where I've asked a question about specific behaviors and people are like, well, he, he, he's a pointer. Well, he's a retriever. And it's like, I understand that, but it just doesn't, it doesn't give you an answer of what to do next in terms of modifying behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gives you, again, like we said, a little bit of information, but we can't just say, oh, well, he's a chihuahua. It's like, okay, great. Like, I love what you said, Kayla. I was thinking the same thing about, well, this poor little chihuahua, this seven and a half pound little chihuahua body is, has a lot of stress in his life. And that's not ideal either for both Caroline and Sonic. So the answer that he's just a chihuahua is, it's really a moot point at that, at that point, right? Because it doesn't yeah. really give us any yeah, information. Yeah, I mean, it does inform our training totally. plan as far as like, oh, he's little enough, so we know Caroline can pick him up. Or, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. he is really, really small, so we want to be careful about what sorts of dogs we're introducing mm-hmm. him to. You know, we're not going to use a Rottweiler as a neutral dog for him because that's just not really setting totally. him up for success. Um, you know, it informs our training plan to a degree. Um, it's really nice that Caroline can just kind of tuck him under her arm like a football and get the heck out of there when she mm-hmm. needs to, because um, that is a minute so nice. that we've, we've used. <laughs> um, and Caroline was using long before I came along. Um, but beyond that, it's, yeah, it's not useful, mm-hmm. really. Um, you know, it is. It, it can be useful at times. It's not the whole um, thing. To know yeah. breed and, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was a wonderful um, overview of your research and clearly shows your dedication to find a specific type dog and you had goals and all of that. And, and many of our listeners share that. And many of our listeners have had negative experiences where they have all these goals, they do all this research, and then it's not quite what they were looking for. Um, and so... Can you walk us through, I know, I know you have a lot more information to share with us about, you know, sort of as he's aged and what you guys have done together. So do you want to pick up from where you left off, Caroline? Great. Yeah. So when he was a little baby and he was showing, you know, the screaming and freezing when he was seeing other dogs, I thought more exposure would help, but I tried to make it on his terms as much as possible. So we did go to um, a positive puppy class. And I just let him sit under a chair and watch for the first few lessons. That was fine. I wasn't going to push him. When the other puppies were allowed to play off leash, I just picked him up. Um, At one point in one lesson, I slipped up and made a bad choice. And he was mobbed by a few younger puppies. But apart from that, it was it was always his choice whether or not he wanted to approach other dogs. And he never did. Uh, We went for walks in places where we were likely to see other dogs, but where we could keep our distance or I could pick him up. And so I thought being around other dogs in a safe and controlled way would help, but it didn't. Um, okay, so as a side note here, I really started feeling over my head when I realized um, what a big deal it was for him to wear, you know, a leash, a collar, a harness. Um, so I've had a few foster puppies in the past, and my method has always essentially been flooding. You know, I'd put the collar on, and I'd give them treats, and they may find it a little uncomfortable at first, but, you know, lots of treats. We'd go on fun outings, and I would just leave it on for the day, and, you know, they'd start forgetting about it. They'd, they wouldn't notice it was there anymore. But because Sonic was so little, I wanted to use a harness because I was worried about his little neck. Um, and when I put it on him, he he froze and then he just slowly fell over, like in those funny viral videos you see of cats in life jackets kind of thing. And, you know, all his, his four little legs are pointed stiffly and he wouldn't move at all. And I tried bringing out really good stuff, you know, bacon and fancy cheese and my own leftovers and canned cat food. And he wouldn't eat. He wouldn't move in the harness, even if I left it on him for hours. Um, and cause he was so small, I didn't want to just leave it on him for hours. I was actually worried about like hypoglycemia. If he wasn't eating all day, he wouldn't eat all day if he was wearing it. 
So I conceded and I kind of tried to call her, um, but it wasn't really much better. So for his own safety, he had to be on a leash for us to go out on socialization trips, but he wouldn't move or take food on a leash <laughs> on these socialization trips. So I ended up just carrying him around and letting him look at things. And I think he was almost four months old by the time he started reliably moving um, with a harness on. And I think it took even longer for him to eat away from home. But that was that was stressful for me in the beginning because I knew I wanted to take him out and let him see the world. But he he couldn't really, right? Because mm -hmm. he was catatonic. He wasn't eating. He wasn't having nice treats when he saw people or dogs because he wouldn't eat um, and he wouldn't move on his own. So I don't think that actually helped much. I don't think it helped him form great associations with the world, but I don't know what else I might have done. Right. So that's that's another odd quirk of mm -hmm. his. And then as he grew older, his, you know, his hiding and his freezing and his growling turned into more offensive aggression. So it turned into, you know, barking from across the street and lunging and spinning. And I think he was at his worst around a year and a half old. And like I think Kayla said earlier, like think of Taz from Looney Tunes, like in a seven pound body, just spinning and shrieking and really distressed. Okay, so at this point, we'd been to puppy class. That was really overwhelming for him with both the people and the dogs. Uh, fortunately, when he was about four months old, I scrapped all my big plans. <laughs> I took a huge step back and a deep breath and I kind of reevaluated. Um, I knew that even the controlled group classes were too much for him. So I figured we would just take a break, let him grow up. We wouldn't go meet other dogs. We would just learn to walk on a leash and learn to eat food away from home. So I started a pretty routine um, desensitization and counter conditioning plan. So he saw a lot, he got lots of snacks whenever a dog appeared. Um, again, this wasn't super easy to implement because for several months he wasn't eating reliably away from home, but I did my best. Um, he, you know, we did what we could. So we would go places like pet store parking lots and we'd hang out at the back and he could eat snacks whenever a dog appeared and we'd try moving closer over time. And ultimately he got very good at learning to redirect his focus to me around other dogs, but I don't think his emotions regarding them changed much. Uh, I tried expanding his social circle carefully. So I introduced him to dogs I knew and that I trusted so he could learn, you know, oh, other dogs are, themselves could be reinforcing. You might play with them. And I'd been doing this since he was very young with my friends, trusted dogs. Um, and he'll sometimes get a bit flirty and bouncy with the dogs he knows, but it's really fleeting. It doesn't really turn into play. The only dog he plays with is Venice and that's very rare and it doesn't last very long. But as a result of those efforts, he does have a small group of dogs, around 10 actually. So it's, he has a few friends. These are dogs he feels safe with and you know we can go on off-leash walks and, and he's fine with, with them. Okay, so when he was... <laughs> It was close to his worst, so I'd actually have to go back and check the records I have on him, but it was between the age of one and one and a half that I, I took him to a vet and I started him on meds. Um, and I remember reaching out to you know a Facebook group I was part of and just asking for people's experiences with medications. And it was very powerful to me. There's two things that people said consistently. One, it gave mm. their dog a quality of life they had not expected was possible. And two, they wished they'd done it sooner. Amazing. So I came away with those. I said, you know, if he's a year old, maybe we should have been doing this sooner. But around a year old, I got him on fluoxetine, which is Prozac. And we were really lucky that the first drug and the first dose we tried seemed to have a good effect. Our vet cautioned us, you know, it could be six weeks before we see any change. But within two weeks, I was seeing some really nice changes outside of his dog issues that I attribute to the medication. So um, 
at the time I was living with my parents, but I was working full time. So during the day he was home with them and he would follow them room to room, sort of like a Velcro dog. And that was fine. It wasn't a problem. But they mentioned, you know, just two weeks on medication. They were like, he naps more. And not that he seems tired or sedated, but, you know, he'll he'll open his eyes when you leave the room and he'll watch you leave. And then he'll, you know, snuggle back down into the couch like he didn't feel the Mm -hmm. need to shadow everyone all the time. And he was sleeping more deeply. So another trigger of his, even at this time, was any sounds outside the house, people laughing, a car door slamming down the block, anything at all. He'd wake up from a dead sleep barking and he was much more restful. He may lift his head and growl at those sounds, but he was not, you know, jumping Mm -hmm. up, screaming anymore. He was, he seemed restful and he did not seem sedated. He just, he was sleeping soundly, which was really nice. So I have a question I appreciate all the things that you just said about meds. And I love that you got that feedback that it was, I wish I had done it sooner and the quality of life improved. That's, that's a really great testimonial for meds. Um, I guess my question is, as I'm listening to your, to your timeline, um, it sounds like you've expanded his social network. He's got 10 friends on Facebook. You know, he's got, um, he's, he's coexisting with your other dog nicely. You have some, um, tools that you can use. He's eating more consistently, not as consistent as you'd like away from the house. Like what prompted the conversation with the veterinarian? Because it sounds like it was getting slightly better, but maybe not reaching the goals or, the reduced stress level for him that you'd like. Is that, is that why you reached out to the vet? Yeah. And a lot of things were improving. Like he was walking on a leash Mm -hmm. and he was eating, like you said, and he had a small group of friends, but the, the barking and lunging on walks. Okay. So that piece was getting worse. Got it. Um, Okay. That was getting worse as he aged. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm doing the desensitization and counter conditioning. Why isn't this working? And I felt at that point that he was, so stressed all the time. And it wasn't just dogs. Like I mentioned, it was sounds outside the house. It was people arriving multiple times a day. He was going into a frenzy and I was just thinking he was so stressed that none of my training was really able to To land. Yeah. Take effect Mm -hmm. because he was just, yeah, he was just flooded with cortisol and he was not a happy guy and that's not a good environment to learn in. So I, my thoughts going into, you know, maybe I should put him on meds were if I can get him to a baseline yeah. level of comfort where I can just get a toehold, maybe then I can make more of an improvement. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, so at this point now, um, at least when I started calling Kayla, I was mostly just managing his behavior. Um, and that can be really tiring. Anyone who lives with a reactive dog knows that it's not ideal for some of my close friends and family either. So he does all right with me handling him, but friends and family, they really struggle handling him around triggers just because they don't have the practice or the coordination or intuition to give him the, the support, to give Sonic the support he needs in the moment he needs it. Um, and like I mentioned, he's a complex guy, a lot of worries. <laughs> um, one thing that I haven't mentioned that is kind of a success for us is anxiety in the car. So when he was younger, up until the time he was about two years old, he would have full-blown panic attacks in the car on either long car rides or at high speeds. And those are both situations where I can't easily be reaching over and giving him treats, you know, when we're on the highway doing 100 kilometers an hour. Um, But he'd have, you know, dilated pupils and crazy heavy panting and farting like you wouldn't believe and just really, really distressed in his crate in the car. And I tried a few things there, you know, out of the crate, in the crate, with food, without food, that sort of thing. Um, and he ended up getting over that with the help of Trazodone, yay for meds. 
and now he has no trouble in the car. But just just another, you know, piece of the puzzle that there's yeah. a lot going on in his little head. Yeah. Um, Caroline is like a dream client with all of the things you have tried. I mean, the fact that you even know what counter conditioning is, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And all of these things that you're trying with all these different triggers that affect you on a daily basis. It's not just like, you know, when bikes come by on the trail, it's like things she's going to experience with this dog daily, maybe multiple times a day. So just kudos to you for, looking for the health, talking to your veterinarian, reaching out to Kayla, trying to manage all of this. I mean, it's, it, it's a lot. And I imagine it's also a lot after doing the research and really wanting to, you know, have certain goals for this dog. And so I guess I just want to honor you and your process and your journey with this dog right now, because this is, this is a lot for anyone to handle. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, if I can get real for a moment, it, it was really get disappointing. Real. Yeah. <laughs> and I think anyone who ends up with a dog like this, it is totally okay to feel disappointed and to mourn the dog you didn't get because it's really hard. His breeder has been phenomenal. She's been completely supportive through all of this. She's offered me tons of help. She has always said, you know, if I'm at my wit's end, he always has a place to go with her. Um, I'm definitely not at that point. I just, I want to give him the happiest life I can. And she's got a busy, busy household and I don't think he'd be any happier there than he is with me. Um, but it's, it's hard living with a dog like this. I, yeah. I don't see my family as much as I used to because it just doesn't work. Um, they have dogs that he is terrified of. So, you know, my 93 year old grandmother, I don't get to see her very much anymore. I don't get to do the things I used to love doing with my other dog cause he can't handle it. I've had to change my lifestyle because of him and that's hard. And yeah. if anyone else out there is going through anything similar, like I get you, it's hard. Yeah. I think it's awesome that you're naming that. Cause so many people talk about that and we do have to get real and we do. I, I love it the idea that you're saying more in the dog you thought you were going to get, right. You like, you're, you're mourning the loss of that particular dog, like, like the concept of, of that dog. And I think it's important for people to go through and feel that process because it, once you do that, you can create more space to be creative and, you know, find solutions and brainstorm and manage. But if you don't allow yourself to feel that and be just like, be disappointed, it, it, it can come out in the training plan in a way that's not good for either you or the dog. Yeah. And I'm not perfect. And it's, it sometimes does. I think this yeah. whole process is ongoing. I love this dog with all my heart and I'm not going to give him up and I'm going to do everything I can to help him. But there are some days where I just need to take a deep breath and go, you weren't meant to be like this. <laughs> yeah. And we just go home and we play and we try again tomorrow. Yeah. Hey guys, this is Marissa from Pause and Reward. Does your dog pull, bark, or lunge while on walks? Are you having a hard time walking your dog, feeling embarrassed and not sure how to handle the situation? Visit pauseandreward.com to receive a free gift designed to help you achieve the connected walks you and your dog so desire. You'll receive a video and educational materials to support this process. So visit pauseandreward.com to get started. Hey guys, it's Kayla here from Journey Dog Training, dropping into the episode to tell you a bit more about what I offer here at Journey Dog Training. Aside from free resources like this podcast, my blog, and my YouTube channel, I offer low-cost behavior help in the form of ebooks and webinars to listeners like you. 
On journeydogtraining.com right now, you can find a webinar on how to prepare your dog for when you're expecting a new baby and how to help your dog survive thunderstorms and fireworks. Both webinars are only $10. If you're more of a verbal learner, we've got three ebooks available one on separation anxiety, another on aggression, and a third on overexcited greeters. All of those ebooks are under $20. If you use the code CONVERSATION at checkout on journeydogtraining.com, you'll get 20% off of your order. So it sounds like you've done a ton of right things with Sonic. We've already talked about how lucky he is to have you. Kayla, what were your first thoughts when you heard from Caroline? <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, the first thing I did was take a deep breath because um, cases like Sonic's are always really hard for me, um, especially remotely, um, but even in person, too. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the sort of case where you're reading the intake and at first you're kind of reading through the issues and you're like, OK, yeah, this is a lot. And then you start kind of reading through on my intake form after I ask what the issues are. I ask, what have you tried so far? And I read Caroline's and was just like, oh oh she's done everything <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um, <laughs> there wasn't anything that I could read from her intake form where I was like oh well this is the problem this is the next step this is the thing she hasn't tried um but Caroline was also really honest with me in her intake form where she was just like I kind of want an extra pair of eyes and some emotional support here I think Caroline if you remember mm-hmm. in our intake form I think you said please be gentle with me I've been working on this for a long time yeah and you know what right be- right before I called you one of uh, two of Sonic's siblings were returned to his breeder through no fault of their own they're the, the person who had bought them had, she developed some health issues And so they just, they traveled halfway across the country. They met on an agility trial. They walked into this new house with all these new dogs and she showed me a video of it and they're just wagging their tails and they're like, oh, hey guys, this is fine. And I was like, those are his full siblings. What? So I I had a bit of an emotional moment because that happened right before I called you. And I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) he should be there by now. So yeah, that and and just, um, I've had a lot of comments over the years whenever people meet him for the first time, people don't get to see the the adorable, fun, clever side of him. They see this angry little chihuahua and they go, nah, he's got the chihuahua attitude, huh? Yeah. And, and that's hurtful. Um, yeah. Coming from people that I think should know better, people that I know are really involved in dogs and training. And I'm going, that's not why he's doing this. It's not because he's a chihuahua. There's something, something wrong going on in his head and it can't feel good to live in his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so Kayla, after you, you took a deep breath, um, what, what did you guys, like, how did you guys start working together? Yeah. So one of the first things that Caroline and I started to try to do was we made a big Google spreadsheet of all of Sonic's different triggers and his different stress behaviors and the good and the bad things in his life. And we just started recording everything we could to try to find a pattern. Um, I've done this in the past with success. Um, and, you know, trying to see if there's anything that we could do that would, you know, predict like, oh, okay, you know, the day after X happens, he has a good day mm-hmm. or he has a bad day mm-hmm. or anything like that. And one of the things that Caroline mentioned early on that got my attention is he does really seem to have good days and bad days. You know, some days he's absolutely all about fetch and he's pushing toys at her. And then other days she can't get him to play at all. And some days they go to the same trailhead and he hops right out of the car and his tail's up and he's trotting down the trail and he's good to go and other days they go to the same trail there's no one there there's no reason that we can find and he 
doesn't want to get out of the car. He stops a quarter kilometer away from the car and starts trying to head home. Um, and we can't find a pattern or a trigger. So we started that spreadsheet. Carolyn and I have been working together now for three months, and we still have not found a pattern in that spreadsheet. We've both tried mm. to dive in a couple times and really try to graph things. And I feel like at three months, we should have enough data um, that we should be able to be finding something, yeah. but we're just not. Um, we're, I mean, and I'm not a statistician, so there could be something we're missing. But that was the first thing we tried. It's just like, okay, let's see if we can find a pattern. If anyone I trust to read data and look at stuff, regardless if you're a statistician or not, is probably you, Kayla. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you, you make spread. Like I almost died when you said we made a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> like, of course you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was when I knew I'd found the trainer for me. I was yeah, like, right. yes, spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, too much information. You got to organize it somehow. I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because like you know, if I've got a cat with a litter box issue, you know, I'll just ask my clients to keep a journal or something because there's just one thing that we're tracking and it's so much easier to, to look at. But this, yeah. it's like, okay, some days one of his stress behaviors is he'll hump his toys and other days he's really jumpy and other days he doesn't want to hike and other days he doesn't want to fetch. And he's always a little weird about dogs, but sometimes he's kind of okay. It, and like, there's just so much. There's just, it's, yeah, mm-hmm. we needed a spreadsheet and it's a monster of a spreadsheet, but we tried. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll find something, um, I just need to, I don't know, figure out how to reward myself more for digging into it. Um, and maybe there's nothing there. You know, that's the thing. Um, yeah. So some of the other stuff that we started kind of right away is we did a lot more engaged, disengaged works at the dog park, um, which wasn't really new for Caroline. As we've said, she's already been doing some of this. But we started doing it a little bit more frequently. Um, and we had some really good talks about exactly how we want to structure look at that type games. Um you know, whether we're rewarding for bounce backs or how we're moving through the look at that. And we tried a couple different things. I think one of the things that we found was that um, keeping Sonic's feet moving seems to help quite a bit versus standing Mm -hmm. still. And we also did a lot of like, okay, you can look at me and look back for a treat. Um, Can you spin? Can you shake? Can you high five? All of these different things. Um, And then we also got Caroline and Sonic scheduled to see a local vet behaviorist to see if that vet behaviorist could dig into anything in his medical history or anything that just we were missing and try to adjust some medications. And that unfortunately was not really fruitful either. Um, So Caroline, if you want to fill us in a little bit on what happened with the vet behaviorist or anything else from that really bit, that would be helpful. Sure. Yeah. So a vet behaviorist was something I'd been considering for a while, but where I live um, in Canada, they are very uncommon. Um, they're about 650 Canadian to walk in the door. So I don't, that, wow. I don't know what that is in us, but they're very expensive. Um, so I'd written that off cause it just, I'm a student and it just, it wasn't accessible to me. Um, and then recently in the last, you know, nine months or so, a new veterinary behaviorist moved, um, to a local city, still a two hour drive away, but local enough from the States. And she was about half the price. So I went to see her. She was great. Her team was knowledgeable. They were kind. Um, And I told them, you know, about what I'd been doing. I'd been working with Kayla for about a month at this point. And I just walked through his complete history. They couldn't find anything, you know, standing out medically that that might have caused any of his problems. And they were they were great. They were very honest with me. They said, you know, we'd be happy to work with you on an ongoing basis to be perfectly honest, um, you're already doing all of the things that would be in our training plan, you and Kayla. So 
their recommendation to me was to save the money and gas and, and just keep working with Kayla and keep doing what we're doing, um, which was great because at least it was another, you know, avenue I could check off saying, okay, well, we've been there and tried that. And it yeah. was also reassuring to know that all the steps we were taking were steps that, you know, a board certified behavior specialist would also take. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was disappointing that they didn't have some magic you know, discovery um, that they could find for us, but it also definitely was validating that we were on the right track um, or, you know, not missing anything. Um, you know, I think yeah. both Caroline and I had been hopeful from, you know, listening to podcasts or attending conferences where you kind of hear the end case study and, you know, and you have to remind yourself that this is a case study that the veterinarian or vet behaviorist chooses to talk about at a conference where, you know, they figure out that like, ooh, that cat broke its leg eight years ago and now he's getting older and now he's arthritic and that's why he's not using the litter box. If we fix the broken leg, then we fix the litter box. You know, like there, there's those stories that you hear from the vet behaviorists where they just do this amazing sleuthing. Um, and I think we were really hoping for that. And it just was not in the cards for us, at least. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of the look at that game's can you tell us a little bit more about how that was structured, Caroline? And I'm actually curious to know, and you might, you might get to this, like whether or not, like when Kayla coached you through the look at that training, whether or not you felt like, oh, like I, oh, I can slightly tweak this, or I was doing it a little bit off, or, or if you felt like, oh, great, she confirmed I've been doing it right the whole time. Yeah. So, I mean, when I first learned about sort of the look at that game, it was several years ago now. And I was taught basically, you know, just reward the dog for looking at their trigger reward the instant they notice it, regardless of, of what they're doing, basically. Well, before they have a chance to um, put on their big emotional display. Um, so with Sonic, what I've been doing is a little bit different. And I changed my thinking on this um, with regards to behavior modification because of a class I, I ended up taking with Dr. Amy Cook. And she can explain it way better than I can, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, so what I'm doing now is I'm not rewarding him for looking at the other dog. So if we consider that Sonic looking at another dog gives me information, you know, the way he looks at a dog can tell me a lot about how he's feeling. If he's if he glances at it quickly and then relaxes and looks back at me, I figure he's not that worried. But if he's, you know, staring at it and he can't look away and his tail's up, I know he's a lot more worried about that. Um, so the amount of time it takes for him to look and then dismiss a dog is also information, of course, you know, whether it takes long um, or short. And what I think can be problematic is when we start interfering with that as sort of a natural barometer um, by teaching the dog to look at their triggers. So with Sonic, I didn't want to teach him that he can't look at other dogs because I think that, that was really important for him to be able to get the information he needed and really, you know, assess whether or not that dog was a threat or not. But I also didn't want to teach him he should look at other dogs to earn reinforcement. You know, I don't want to interfere with that looking at all. Basically, I want him to be able, I want to be able to continue using that look as information. So I knew I didn't want to reward him for looking and I didn't want to teach him, you know, you can't, don't stare, you have to look at me. And fortunately, when Kayla suggested look at that, we started a great conversation about this. I was going, ah, is that really the best idea? And yeah, I shouldn't have worried because we were on the same page completely. She sent me a video and said, yeah, here's actually what I'm talking about. And it was essentially what I was doing. So what I've been doing instead is he looks at another dog and I don't interfere unless I really see him escalating and he needs some help. And then I may call him back to me and give him a cookie. But I let him look and I just kind of wait. 
And for the most part, we're looking at triggers from a point where he's not going to escalate to the point of barking and growling. We have enough distance there. So I let him look. And then on his own, when he's ready and he either dismisses that and goes to sniffing or he looks back at me, then I'll cue another behavior. So he's not just getting a treat for looking back at me. He looks back at me and then I ask for a hand touch or high five or spin, which are some of his favorite tricks. And then we get food for that. Uh, and so that's basically how I've been structuring it. And Kayla said, absolutely, let's go ahead with that. So that was great to know that we were kind of on the right track there. So did you make any progress in getting closer to the triggers? Yes. So like Kayla mentioned, my while he's got a lot of stuff going on, the dog stuff was my main priority. So that's what we were really working on. Mm -hmm. um, so what we ended up doing was going to a fenced dog park in my neighborhood. And, you know, it's sort of it's a big fenced in dog park and it's next to a sports field. And Sonic and I would stand in the sports field well back from the fence and we would just let him look at the dogs in the dog park. Well, well, well back. And he'd watch them. And, you know, he may have a little bit of tension and then he'd look back at me or sniff the ground and I'd say, awesome, yeah, let's cue a fun trick. Let's let's do some work together. And he really likes that. Um, and then as he'd relax, we'd move a little bit closer and I'd see how, you know, how are you looking at the other dogs? Uh, if we moved five steps closer and he had to take a long look at the dogs in the park and, you know, think about it and pause and then, okay, yeah, no, I'm fine. Perfect. That's sort of the distance we started working at. So we were using look at that to gauge, you know, how are we feeling? Can we go closer? It was sort of, I, I guess I'd call it desensitization too. He was learning, like, we're just doing dog mm -hmm. stuff, sniffing and doing tricks with my owner and there are dogs nearby. Yep. And it Absolutely. was great because the dogs at the dog park were fenced in. There's no way they could come running over to us. And they were also really preoccupied with each other. So it's not like they were standing at the fence, staring at him and barking, which yeah. is what we would sometimes encounter on walks if we we're trying to do desensitization. So it was a great, great setup for that. Yeah, I have a question about the setups versus your real life scenario. So did you see more success in the setups because everything was as controlled as possible in comparison to you're going, you're leaving your house, you're going for a walk, you're taking him outside and then, oops, you know, another dog is too close. Did you see varying degrees of success in both environments? Um, I mean, our success on walks it's been a long time coming, but we're in a really good spot now. And it took a lot of trial and error. His big thing is control. So yeah, he did great at the setups where it was a very clear picture. Okay. Yeah. We're standing near dogs and we're doing that thing where we sniff or we do tricks. Like mm -hmm. he knew what the picture was and he said, okay, yeah, I got this. Um, our walks have been successful for probably a year and a half now. And that's just because I've made the picture very, very clear and very predictable every time about what it's going to look like when we pass another dog. So yeah, for the first, you know, three years of his life, it was ugly. Um, it really didn't matter what distance we were at or how I tried to manage him. There'd be kicking and screaming. And for the last year, year and a half, um, he's been really good about that just because I've been consistent, the same management techniques every single time. Great. We see another dog. This is what it's going to look like. And I think that control and that predictability mm -hmm. played a, played a big part there. Awesome. So Kayla, what other ideas do you have moving forward with Caroline? Yeah. So a couple of the other things that we've been working on now that we're moving into our third month of working together um, has been, we've done a couple parallel walks, um, which a couple have been possible with social distancing guidelines. Um, I know Caroline just had a walk with a friend with an Aussie um, and they, I think we're on opposite sides of the street doing parallel walks. And one of the things we've been really working on in the last couple of weeks has been trying to do more kind of straight desensitization. So we're not introducing as many treats and just trying to do parallel walks. We did a couple where she walked around the per perimeter of the dog park, let Sonic sniff, kind of 
oscillated and how far away from the fence they were and just really kind of worked on like, yeah, dogs just kind of happen and we can just move past them. And that was, you know, a, a conversation that Caroline and I had where right now we feel like we're teaching Sonic to eat as an incompatible behavior. And that's, you know, it's been sustainable for four years, <laughs> you know, but it's not really what we want to be doing in the long run. So we've been trying to do more of these parallel walks and desensitization um, activities where we're not introducing nearly as much food um, and just keeping that threshold a little bit lower. We've been seeing some success with that. Um, we also played around a little bit with some start button behaviors and trying to gauge based on how Sonic was behaving and how he was responding to things, whether we're going to move closer or further away from his triggers. And again, as Caroline was saying, really trying to give him that control back. Um, he's gotten a couple new friends since we've been talking um, through parallel walks and some other introductions. Um, one of the things Caroline has really noticed is a lot of her friends have border collies. So Sonic is much better in general with black and white um, herdy dogs. Uh, so we've been trying to figure out how to introduce him to other breeds um, and get him to understand that other dogs can also be socially savvy. And it's not just the border collies that are going to ignore you and play nice. Um, obviously, again, coronavirus has made this really difficult because um, it's just not a great time to go on your local Facebook group and <laughs> ask who wants to do a parallel walk. Um, and then we've done a little bit of practice with relaxation in new areas, you know, just going to random places and not even necessarily at parks yet, but just hanging out there um, and letting him hang out in her lap and kind of trying to teach him that we're not always going to new places to train and to work. Um, and then the last thing we've been really working on has been passing other dogs on hikes on the ground. So one of the things that Caroline had done a really good job of was she would say, are you ready? And that was his cue to be prepared to get picked up. So she's had a couple of times recently where she said, are you ready? And Sonic has just kept moving instead of stopping and preparing himself to get picked up. And then we've been letting him stay on the ground and move past some other dogs with kind of rapid fire to medium fire treats, depending on the situation. Um, so we've been really building up to passing other dogs as much as we possibly can. Um, Caroline, do you have anything to add, especially if you want to give a little bit more detail on exactly what you guys have been doing with the start button stuff? I, it's kind of complicated, so I think it's really helpful for you to explain since you've been the one who's actually implementing it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say we're still in sort of the groundwork stages yeah. of the start button behavior. It was really great um, being able to practice at the dog park, but in my city now, the dog parks are closed. Um, even the vet clinics, there's not much not much business going on there. Things are pretty quiet. So we haven't been able to do that practice in a while. But what I what we wanted to be able to do was to give him control to say, I'd like to go closer to the other dog and work, um, or I need more distance. So I decided, we actually ended up making a list of behaviors that he already knew how to do on cue and thinking, you know, which ones would be appropriate as, as an I want to go closer and then I want to move further away behaviors. And we ended up deciding that a sit, which would seem a little counterintuitive at first, would mean I need more distance. So the way we started teaching that was I just started right in at one of our dog park sessions. I cued a sit and then we'd run away from the fence and we'd add a lot more distance. And I wouldn't give him treats for that. So the reward was meant to be, yeah, we get a lot of space from the dogs and there's less social pressure. And then what I started, so I did that a few times. And then what I started doing was I would cue a sit if I noticed, you know, some of his tension signs, like his tail's coming up, he's 
having to do lots of little looks or he's having to stare and can't look away, I'd start cueing a sit. And because he was a little uncomfortable already, that was a little bit hard. So we took, you know, just sort of a half squat kind of thing. I said, yeah, absolutely. We would run away from the fence and we'd have a little party. No treats. We'd just, yeah, you and me, we'll have a little party and there's no dogs close by. And then our sort of green means go button was going to be just him staring at me, continuing to engage. And what that was looking like was he was just pushing me to do behaviors. He was pushing me to give high fives and do spins and heel work. And he wanted to keep going. He wasn't even glancing at the other dogs. I think our last session before the parks closed that I sent you to, Kayla, we were right up at the fence. The dogs were way in the middle of the parks. So they weren't near the fence, uh, but we were right up at the fence and he, they weren't even on his radar. Like he didn't care about them, which was great. And I don't think we would have been there, you know, five months ago. Um, but it's, it's always going to be a work in progress. And I'm really excited to, for the parks to open up again so that we can actually get back to that. Cause I don't feel like we were fluent with the, with the red or green light button behaviors at this point. He didn't really, I didn't see the light bulb go off. He's like, okay, we sit and run, but there wasn't a flash of, oh, I can ask to run away. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that when we can get back to work. I love that you guys did the start button on walks. That's brilliant. It was Caroline's idea. I, and then it was just a lot of us kind of puzzling through it where it was like, okay, this is, this is more complicated than like, you know, normally I do a lot of start button you sort of things where, you know, the dog, almost like Shirag Patel's button, uh, bucket game, you know? Or, yeah, for like cooperative care more. Like yeah, the and then trying to figure out how to so adapt cool. it was, it was a good, it's a, mm -hmm. it was a good puzzle. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, as Caroline said, I'm really excited for us to continue progressing with it once parks reopen and potentially trying it with other, I've got a couple other clients um, who are also really good trainers. It's probably, I don't see myself introducing start bumps for all of my reactivity clients. Um, yeah. But for the clients that I have that already are really savvy trainers, you know, I'm excited to see how it continues working. Um, what about doing, because, you know, I, I am concerned about your progress that you've made and, and given coronavirus, right? Um, like what, you know, a lot of clients are like, Ooh, we were just making, we were just making this a progress. And then now is it just going to go out the window? I, and it's not that learning goes out the window, but, um, I, I wonder if you, if you teach him the start button at home, just in like a fun training game and you, and you use those same sitting or what was the other one? Engaging. What was like engaging? Yeah. Like if, if you do that in such an environment that is super easy for him, that like when, by the time you go, by the time we are released to society <laughs> at whatever point that is going to be, um, that he will have the game really, really well. And that you'll just then be generalizing it to the dog park environment. Just another way that you guys could probably like continue playing the game, but just home. Yeah, I like that idea. Absolutely. Yeah, that is a really good idea. And there's a lot of places that I still have access because, I mean, his triggers, let's not forget, are many and varied. So there's a lot of places we can still go <laughs> where, you know, he's going to see people playing at the end of the street or, you know, seagulls, which are sometimes scary. So we can practice in a lot of different contexts, not, not just with Or dogs. even, I think you've mentioned in the past or maybe on this podcast that, you know, like bringing a new thing into the apartment can be upsetting. So like, could we go get a, I don't know, a TV box or something? And I mean, maybe we don't want to intentionally bring that into his safe space, but <laughs> could we put it at the end of the driveway or, you know, in the apartment yeah. hallway or something and practice? Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. And I know we've got some tethered outdoor dogs that we can also use, which, you know, isn't great for those dogs. Um, but hopefully Sonic is sensitive enough that we're also keeping those dogs. Um, we're not torturing 
the outdoor dogs too, too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Marissa, do you have any other, you know, like questions or ideas or things that came to mind as like, Ooh, is there a reason you didn't try this for us? I think one of my questions is in terms of a time frame. it sounds like Kayla came along and reinforced a lot of the things that you were, you were already doing, which has got to feel really good, right? That you were already doing some of these things. Kayla might have tweaked certain things here and there. What do you think really made the biggest impact? Like, do you think it's the combination of the drug therapy in addition to Kayla watching the videos? Like, what do you think made the biggest impact in your training plan with him? Because it sounds like there's some more success. There definitely is. And I, I don't think I need to hesitate. It's just the accountability, having someone that I know I can, you know, report to every day. Hey, this is how it went. Uh, here's a video from today. I won't be able to get one tomorrow, maybe the day after. It was really pushing me to put a lot more time and effort into this, mm. knowing that I had someone who was ready to listen and look at what we'd done that day. Because, I mean, I was going through life with him. We were, we were still going on our trail walks and, you know, sometimes we'd go to the occasional workshop, that kind of thing. Um, but it was always just management. And I wasn't really putting a lot of time aside to set up sessions where we were practicing this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I'd lost just because, I you know, you lose motivation and you think, okay, it's been four years. This is really hard. I'm not interested. Um, but sort of I've got a renewed interest and I'm working hard again. And I think that's made the biggest difference. Yeah, I would, That's I, awesome. would, I would agree. I think, I think there are things that, you know, you and I have done together that have been really beneficial. Um, but I think, you know, if we could have given you a similar amount of support, you already had most of this in your head, I guess is what I'm trying to say, which isn't the best pitch for myself and my business. Um, <laughs> but like, I think, you know, I think you already had a lot of this. Uh, it was mostly just having someone to bounce ideas around with. And, you know, again, someone who's accountable where, you know, and I know I've actually had this experience with therapy where I know that I could call my friends um, to talk about my issues, but sometimes it feels nice to just be like, I'm paying someone to listen to me. So I don't have to feel Uh guilty that I'm picking their brain or giving them updates constantly because I'm paying them for it. And I think sometimes that changed relationship can be really helpful, even in those times where, yeah, again, kind of like with the therapy analogy, I could journal it out or I could call a friend, but it's sometimes really nice to just have someone that I'm paying to help me with it, even if they're, you know, not necessarily giving me any groundbreaking earth shattering insights. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't anything yeah, radically new, but it was just, it's putting the hours in and unfortunately like, that's hard, but yeah. unfortunately that's a lot of what it takes is you got to put the time in. And if you don't, it's not going to get much better. So I've been putting a lot of time in yeah. over the last few months and awesome. it's been helping. Yeah. It's been helping. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Like all of the things that you have done and even just what you guys have done in three short months, right? Like doing the parallel walks, introducing him to a new, some new friends. Like, I mean, all of that is, it's, it's, it's a lot that's happened in, in a short period of time. And I think, um, I have a client, uh, that I've worked with in, in Boulder and I, I love her, Andrea and Crow, and she had a, a reactive, um, a reactive breed that someone would say, well, it's just that breed or whatever. <laughs> um, and I've worked with a vet behaviorist, a vet, uh, a few other trainers and the dog is now playing with other dogs, but it did take like a solid year and a half 
Oh, wow. I mean, it, it took a long time. Like we got his reactivity to a good place, but in terms of him inter- being safely introduced to other dogs, um, it took like a year and a half. And, and I think, um, Reactivity takes way longer than what many people expect in terms of what clients expect. And it's, it is really challenging when you're like, go to, you go into someone's house, the dog's been reacting like this for a long time. And they're like, okay, I need you to fix this yesterday. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. Right. It's like, it, it does mm-hmm. take time. So it's, it's kind of amazing what you guys have done in a shorter period of time. Um, and I think it really goes to show that if you're putting that time and effort and doing those setups so that he gets successful experiences, it, it can pay off. I'm not going to say it always does, but it can pay off. And it sounds like in your case it has, which is really great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're we're kind of in the same spot that that your client is, I think, right now. I mean, his his reactivity is pretty well managed, at least with me. It's not mm-hmm. at the point where I can give his leash to my boyfriend and they can go for a neighborhood walk with no problems. He's still a mess with other people, but he works well with me. But introducing him to other dogs at this point, it's going to be ugly uh, unless we do it, you know, slowly and carefully. So that's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just been great to be able to work with, um, you know. Caroline, you've been so good about, you You know, we're celebrating the approximations and, you know, we're seeing the successes that are happening, which sometimes can be really hard in cases like this. You know, I've, one of the things I've kind of found, um, you know, and this is kind of a reflection on my business as I do seem to get a lot of these cases where I think people have tried a lot of other things or they've run out of options near them and they're coming to me at this point and, um, I like, but also fear working with clients like you, Caroline, because it's, it's a really good challenge and you guys tend to be really, really dedicated. Um, but it also is, Mm. you know, it's hard to work with someone remotely and think of things that someone that worked with them in person didn't think of. Um, so I just really appreciate how much we've been able to to celebrate these small successes because I think it wouldn't be totally crazy for you to still be really, really frustrated. And I'm sure you still are sometimes. Um, but you know, I just have got to give you a lot of kudos. Um, one of the other things that I just kind of wanted to bring up that Caroline and have, and I've talked about a little bit, um, is kind of, I think, um, Dr. Chris Pockle, um, friend of the pod, um, who's been on before, (laughs) um, did a really, really great episode with, um, Hannah Brannigan, I I think it was on drinking from the toilet about anxiety versus fear. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Go listen to it. Go listen to it now. We'll (laughs) link it in the show notes. Um, Yeah. And it was just a really good conversation that Caroline and I had over text afterwards of, you know, and we do, Caroline and I do a lot of this. We listen to all the same podcasts and we'll like listen to things and then be like, wait, 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 does this relate to Sonic? Like, how can we use this? This is a, you know, it's, and again, it's often small shifts. Um, it's not like we've found anything groundbreaking and totally huge to change, but that was one of those episodes where I was just listening to it thinking how Dr. Paco is describing anxiety, which is fear of a threat when you don't have a good reason to believe that that threat is about to appear. Um, just really spoke to me about, um, kind of Sonic as far as Yes, he's got these triggers that we can name, um, but his predictability with them and some of some of his meltdowns don't seem to have these clear triggers. Um, you know, he just fits that anxiety picture well. And one of the things Dr. Pockle talked about quite a bit is just that, you know, counter conditioning with anxiety can be really, really, really challenging. Um, mm-hmm. 
So, you know, I think one of the other lessons that we can take from this case is just not giving up and continuing to learn as much as you can. Like Caroline has been involved in Fancy Dog Sports Academy. She listens to Drinking from the Toilet and um, Cog Dog Radio. You know, she, we're, and, you know, she and I are kind of going through this together of constantly trying to find more stuff and, you know, constantly learning, um, you know, to work through this together. Because if she had just given up at four months old, um, and just said, you know, okay, this is just how he's going to be. Um, I think we would have missed out on a lot of progress. So. Yeah, I have to- learned so much. A lot of it I wish I hadn't had to learn, but Absolutely. I have learned a lot with this dog. <laughs> I, there are days when I'm like, you know, I wish I was still blissfully ignorant, but um, yeah, nothing like a, a wacky little dog to teach you <laughs> everything you didn't know about dog training. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Absolutely. Marissa, do you have anything else to add before we kind of wrap it up here? No, I think you guys are doing a, a great job. And, and I do want to um, also just say kudos to Caroline and to you, Kayla, because I think you're right. Like those clients that have tried a lot can be daunting, right? You're not like, oh, I can just give you this really easy thing and it'll fix it, right? Um, yeah. It is daunting, but they're also the ones that are super committed and um, there's something really amazing about that because us as dog trainers, there's lots of times people want it, uh, a quick fix. You know, people didn't get dogs to become dog trainers with their dogs, right? They want, they want this stuff to be easy and get it done yesterday. And so I think it, it is really nice to walk through a really committed, uh, client, but it's also can be daunting, right? Because you're just like, oh, like it's behavior. There isn't just one answer yeah. for all of yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is not a potty training case. Um, yeah. Or even, no, you for know, sure. thank you, Kayla. Like this isn't easy. <laughs> oh, actually what I wanted to say, I did have one thing and it's just because I'm obsessed with it is, um, I don't know if you need it anymore, to be honest. Um, but I was thinking about like, if nose work was used, like teaching him nose work inside and then possibly, you know, bringing the boxes and the game outside in, in, in the, the neighborhood, um, just to get him more connected to like dropping into the environment in a way that was more healthy and enriching for him than scanning the environment. And you might not need that. I mean, I usually start nose work a lot with my reactive job reactive dog clients because I want to help shift their association and shift their behavior to do something that's really enriching in the environment. That's been really scary. But, um, I was just curious about nose work. For sure. It's something I've actually been wanting to get into for a while, but no, I haven't tried it yet. And that's because I want to be a perfectionist about it. And I just haven't gotten around to getting my kit together and signing up for Nosework 101 and all of that. But it is something I want to do. Maybe that's something we can do now that we're stuck indoors. I like the idea of the start button because you're giving him predictability, control over his environment. And I'm just wondering, like, if you go to a new environment and you find that he's elevated in his stress levels, could you just do a super easy nose work game in that environment to help him? Oh, I know this. I can drop in. This is predictable. This is that fun game that we do. And it and it helps reduce his stress in that environment. I don't know if I'm pushing with that or what do you think, Kayla? 
I think it would be worth trying. I think like a lot of things, we might kind of just keep running into this inconsistent usability of reinforcers issue with him, but it would be nice to have another thing in our toolbox. Um, and I have seen in the past some dogs who will engage in nose work even when they won't eat. Um, I don't, Marissa, do you remember that little Shiba Inu that was in our nose work class? Oh, yeah. You know, like we had this yeah. this little Shiba that was a great little searcher, very slow, very hesitant, very methodical. Methodical, yeah. And she never ate, but she always went to the source. And, you know, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, maybe if we've got it in our toolbox, we can pull it out with Sonic and, and see, you know, at those times where, yeah, you're getting out of the car and you want to go for a hike and he's just being weird. You know, can we do three minutes of nose work and kind of get him back in a groove and it might not mm-hmm. work at all, but I can't see it hurting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that little Sheba was really fearful. Remember? Yeah. Because it's part Boarding of why case. she was like, yeah, yeah maybe or like part of why she was slower was that she was a little bit more hesitant around her environment. But the fact that she was even walking in that space was like huge progress. I, I remember yeah, yeah. That, that. Yeah. And I also remember was she was like always, amazed. she was such a good little searcher. She wouldn't, such she would just kind of searcher. sit there and think and then just walk directly over to source. It was so, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and you really and I are cool. with, you know, you've got a lab mix and I've got the border collie who are like knocking things over and like jumping yeah. on the tables. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. So yeah, I think I think nose work has been on my list. Um, it doesn't teach him like what to do instead. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Like, but yeah, because I I think some of the stuff that you guys are working on, it's giving him skills of like, okay, there's the dog, and I'll check back in with you, and I'll look away, and I don't have to freak out, and I'll get closer, and I can control my environment. So nose work doesn't really teach him those skills like, okay, oh, shoot, here comes the dog. Now what, what do I do? But he does, he, he really likes that predictability and he does really like knowing what a picture is going to look like. So you're right. If he is, you know, I, what if I just bring him out at the trailhead and I go put a hide out and then I let him yeah. out of the car and say, oh, here we go. And maybe that'll change his mindset a little on, on any bad days that he has yeah. to, oh yeah, okay. We're doing this predictable thing. I know what life is about. Yeah. And it's something that's yeah. always fun and it's always successful. You know, it might be nice, especially because it actually is something that we haven't tried at all. So we can hopefully really mm-hmm. add it in a it in it in in a way that is um, that is a lot of two letter I words. <laughs> <laughs> add it in in a way. <laughs> it's a lot. My brain is melting. Yeah, I think you guys have done an amazing job. Bottom line. Yeah. So thank you. Click and treat to you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things, you know, hopefully we'll have an update on Sonic in a couple months. So um, listeners might be able to hear, you know, we can we can bring him up again, um, maybe in, I don't know, June or July or August or something and just yeah. kind of see where he's at. Because, you know, as we said, this is an unusual case study. This is not we're not done here. And, we'll you know, let's be honest, Caroline and Sonic are probably never going to be done. Um, mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm but I don't expect that she's going to keep paying me a monthly fee for the next 10 years of Sonic's life. So at some point we're going to get to a point where, are you kidding me? He's a, he's an angry little chihuahua. He's going to live to 22. <laughs> yeah. You're, you've got him for a long <laughs> time, girl. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, the truth hurts. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll be normal by 16. 
<laughs> yeah, he'll have slowed down a bit. Yeah, yeah, he might be. I don't know. I, I mean, if he's like toothless, blind, and deaf at 16, will he be better or worse? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, we'll try to give some updates on Sonic. Um, and maybe we'll even just put him on the, on the Facebook page as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe we could do that. I think that would be awesome because I'm sure folks... And if, if trainers that are listening... I think it'd be fun if folks yeah. are like, oh, you haven't tried A, B, and C or, or whatnot. Feel free to email us yeah, because I, I think that all three of us would be super curious to hear uh, what other folks are thinking. Yeah, yeah. So. And, you know, just don't be too mean to us if we've missed something that you think is obvious. But, you know, we'd love – that's part of why I wanted to do this case study, even though we're not done, is because it's just like, man, this is one of those cases that when I get around a drinking and talking with other dog trainers. It's just like, what, what am I missing here? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, all of you trainers listening, uh, hit us up if you've got any brilliance or even if you think it's a dumb idea, but you know, you, we, you still didn't hear us talking about it. We'll hear your dumb ideas too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So thank you so much for taking the time with us, Caroline. Um, and we're excited to hear how things progress with little Sonic Thank you. I'm excited to let you know in a few months how much better he's doing. Awesome. And I'm Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder. And you can find me online at pauseandreward.com. And I'm Kayla Fratt. I'm the owner of Journey Dog Training. I'm based in person in Missoula, Montana. But like Caroline, you guys can hire me from anywhere at journeydogtraining.com. And so before we go, please be sure to subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com. You can also contact us, like we mentioned earlier, hello at canineconvos.com. Our theme music is called Funny Song and it's provided royalty free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beher.org.uk. And our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Bye, guys. Bye.